0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast right here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson. By myself this time around, as once more, life has uh, taken over and taken precedent, TC, uh, off doing some more advanced schooling. We're both teachers. It's both been a wild year for each of us, and uh, we can't wait to get back together on the same page for you all soon enough. But in the meantime... We do have some baseball news brewing, despite it being the absolute dredges of the uh, of the offseason. It is super cold along the East Coast where we are right now. Uh, and it's also cold in baseball's labor talks where our big idea is that MLB isn't trying too hard or at all to really negotiate. Some negotiations have taken place in the past couple of days as you hear this. Uh, one thing that sticks out is that they did meet the two sides, the Union and the owners and their representation did meet back-to-back days which is the first time that's happened since the owners instituted a lockout and ultimately brushed off the players ultimately kept them away ultimately kept teams from being able to communicate with them Uh, that was six weeks ago they haven't really made any serious proposals since then Uh, and here are some of the big news pieces that came out the last few days as well as the larger implications In the labor landscape i know we talked about labor the last time and it's still relevant in fact it's more relevant given the state of these discussions and frankly that games are on the table at this point to be lost so one thing that the union proposed was a 30 million dollar bonus pool from revenue sharing for pre-arb players based on performance and the league wants nothing to do with that the union already cut that proposed amount from 30 million or 230 million dollars by 70%. They initially requested and proposed 100 million dollars. That's not a ton of money in the in the grand scheme of things. Either of those numbers uh, that might be really certainly my perspective, but at least the 30 million dollar number that's about a million dollars per club if you're talking about revenue sharing. So it's it's really like drop in the bucket type stuff. The idea here is ultimately to pay players sooner which would still serve primarily the best players, but is kind of the issue with free agency. Uh, ultimately here, it's still a positive. While free agency does really only serve an upper, upper class at this point, given how the last few off seasons have worked and operated, it would be a, a positive here because playing paying players sooner is a huge, huge objective. What it does is help establish a peace of mind, a quality of life that enables a lot of other things, namely in this context, Player development could take a big boost. Some teams are realizing the benefits of treating uh, their minor leaguers like people who have basic needs and rights that should be fulfilled. Uh, and we're seeing teams deciding to shelter their minor leaguers. Uh, hopefully, it's instituted really widely, as it has been kind of um, kind of hinted at and, and stated, but not really enacted upon just yet. Uh, but ultimately, when you create a baseline of not even comfort, but of just peace of mind. It really does allow people to pursue things better or more fully, and that could instantly be an impact for younger players across the board. MLB doesn't want anything to do with that proposal from the union. They don't want any piece of this process pre-ARB to change at all. Ultimately, what they want is for things to stay the same because then they don't have to make any adjustments they can continue to play pay players less than they are truly worth which teams know more than ever the people running these teams people in front offices understand the value of young players and how that's really how you win we'll get to that more down the road with a travis saw tweet from uh the score travis writes there now he had some really plain but insightful tweets the last couple of days with this information so we'll get there momentarily uh, but what I'm leery of in this context is that this could leak into the Union negotiating against itself to cut from a hundred million to thirty million is kind of uh, this is what happens when you have an argument between a rational party and an irrational party so the rational party in this context is the Union simply wanting a larger share of what has just become nearly just inconceivable numbers that the league is reaping in, in terms of dollars and and additional revenue streams that they haven't had to share with players to this point. Uh, So when you have a reasonable person in an argument, they're already looking to meet in the middle. And when you have an unreasonable person, what you do, what you end up having often is to meet them where they are. And the union, the union understands this, I bet, to a certain extent. And I bet the league definitely understands it, right? They say, you come to us. This is our our game. We are dictating everything here uh, because they have a status quo, which is something we will also hit on momentarily. Uh, the bonuses in this player pool of $30 million for pre r players would be determined by war, wins above replacement. Frankly, it's just a crap show waiting to happen, I, to be as polite as possible, because war is fine for what it is. As much as we can have just one number indicate what a player truly has accomplished in a given season people who really understand it also understand that the data is always changing and that the way we conceive of this game is also always changing and it's changing really rapidly at advanced rates at this point like a decade ago we thought ground ball pitchers were incredible it didn't like if they weren't striking guys out it wasn't as big a deal if they got ground balls it's like that no we we want even easier outs than that we understand the value of a strikeout. We understand the the benefit, but maybe difficulty in sustaining ground ball rates for certain guys and how that arsenal can actually lead to guys really getting squared up when a batter does catch up to it. So, you know, that was a decade ago. We know even more now. We know even more in the last, I would bet, twenty four months in terms of biomechanics and how to help players make adjustments and how to have people and personnel on the team level who can communicate those adjustments really well to make these players better. Uh, and so in addition to that, we also have an issue with war in where the way we calculate it has changed. There's also various versions. So whose version do you use? Because you're basically subsidizing and, and outsourcing the work to people you don't have. Or, you know, there's a baseball prospectus version with uh, wins above replacement player warp. There's a fan war. There's a baseball reference war. Uh, baseball baseball Reference and fan graphs and BP, we all use different formulas to calculate it. We all weight things differently. So whose do you lean on? Do you validate one more than the other? Are you, are you sure you can't move between these versions? Do you uh, pay players more when ultimately adjustments are made to the formula that reward players in the past more than their previous war numbers had indicated? Do you make adjustments for positions, which haven't been updated in forever, that would uh, balance things out between catchers and relievers especially? The issue here is ultimately that relievers, I mean, you can't accrue war as a reliever. If you have two wins as a reliever, you are the best guy in the game. If you have two wins as a position player, you're like a nice piece who's kind of okay. There's just no bridging that gap with this current formula. There's no bridging that gap with guys who can ultimately be really, really valuable. I mean, this is something that we kind of poo-poo the idea that closers are really valuable. Oh, anybody can do it. It's about a skill set. I think we do that because we understand the numbers and we probably don't justify or understand the mental aspect of the game as well at all, certainly in comparison to what we know about numbers and data and leverage and all of that in terms of a, just boiling it into a statistic. So an issue becomes how do we value the mental side and, and do we have a, an ability to do that on a player-to-player level because some guys are built for the ninth and some guys are built for different scenarios that are not the ninth, which is fine. Maybe they're the multi-inning relief ace. Maybe they are the shutdown guy or a fireman or you know, a, whatever they are. They, it's about opportunity. That's all war really is. It's how often was this player able to play? And we know that often the best players do play. We also know that at this rate, teams have gotten pretty good at suppressing playing time for players, especially young players, because young players have options for the first three years that they're under team control where they are being defaulted to being shuttled between the minors and the majors at will. We know some teams have gotten really, really good at this. We know that there's a thing called Dodgeritis. We know that the Los Angeles Dodgers have mystery injuries where guys just get breaks and guys get moved up and down uh, through the minors to the point where service time is totally manipulated. You can't leave a number that depends on appearances for a player The deciding factor in how they get paid when the game within the game at this point is about reducing the amount of opportunities a player has to maximize the opportunities they do get on the field for your particular team for your particular record to amount as many wins as you can while not necessarily letting that player unleash themselves and their talent at full will we've seen it time after time, year after year with top prospects since Chris Bryant. Uh, In terms of his service time being delayed, we've seen it happen with other players, uh, Super 2 status. The Rays are really good at it unless they can get you to sign an extension beforehand. And even then, they'll wait to get the extension until after the Super 2 status just to really double down and totally lock things in. So the idea that war could serve as anything that could reward a player is just laughable in like the the least funny way possible. This is the league not wanting to take accountability for the way that they have created a, a pay scale environment that doesn't actually pay players. So they want to seem impartial here, but it's really anything but, because they are washing their hands clean of a situation in which they are directly involved. This is like eating a piece of cake and saying, well, I, I who's to say how this will impact my weight when you, know, you just keep eating the cake? So there's one issue when it comes down to the problems that are going on between the union and the league that are creating some friction and distance between the two sides approaching a deal, uh, which again, we will approach a moment down the road a few minutes from now where we understand how that's potentially beneficial, even though it's not necessarily fun right now. One other thing that the union wants to do right now is raise the luxury tax threshold from $245 million in player payroll per year to $273 million by 2026. So that's over the course of a few years. And incremental implementation here is something that's really pretty typical for these kinds of things in any contract between two parties, ultimately serving to allow adjustments from parties to make change more gradual uh, because if we know anything as people we know that change being gradual is a big plus we know that big changes suddenly at the drop of a hat are problematic that's that's what causes issues that's what puts strain on systems so this is another instance in which the union is being reasonable and realistic and and truly attempting something fair giving a reasonable number, a little under $30 million over the course of the next, what, four or five off-seasons where that threshold would slowly be bumped up. That would also incentivize more teams to spend more. Again, they're trying to pay as many players as much as they can, which maybe sounds greedy, but when you realize that the 26-man roster is truly a 40-man roster that teams use as best they can, it's really important to get guys as as much as they can because they don't have the same opportunities anymore. Uh, ultimately, not being penalized for paying more good players would enable more teams to pay more good players. It would enable more teams, frankly, just to go for it, which could be kind of a big deal in the scope of expanded playoffs. Both teams, both sides in this negotiation seem up for that to expand the playoffs. If more teams are going to be allowed in and more teams are incentivized to pay more better players and sooner, that's creating a, a really nice competitive environment. That, that's like really truly letting teams dictate their best chance on the field, their best product being out on the field. And instead, the owners want significant penalties for teams that exceed the luxury tax threshold, the competitive balance tax that basically acts as a soft cap at this point. Baseball would never ever say that it has a salary cap, but it really does, because pretty much every team acknowledges it at this point, except for a handful, even less than a handful. We're talking like a pinch. Ultimately, the owners want penalties for exceeding the luxury tax threshold, the competitive balance tax, that include loss of a third round draft pick and a 50% tax on every dollar over the threshold. So if you went over $245 million and say you go up to $250 million, you're paying a $5 million tax on that, ultimately allowing your, yourself, or what is that? No, not $5 million, that would be a 100% tax, but uh, a $500,000, oh my goodness, it's too late to be doing math, mental math, I'm so sorry. be 2.5 million dollars right they'd be paying really not 250 they'd be paying 252.5 million dollars right now it's only a 20 percent tax with no draft pick loss and right now the baseball draft is no different than any other sport where the top rounds are the most valuable they have the best return given the way baseball takes even longer to develop players than other sports where you don't have an NCAA feeding you players who jump in and are immediate impact players. You don't have a Jamar Chase equivalent like the Bengals have in the NFL this year. Even Spencer Torkelson, incredible college bat, top prospect for the Detroit Tigers, came in, one, needed to play in the minor leagues, and two, still will probably not come in right away at peak. Like, Jamar Chase is an incredible player, broke all sorts of rookie-wide receiver records this year for the Bengals, single-handedly won the team games with the way that he could play. Spencer Torkelson will not have that level of impact. Almost no rookie ever has that level of impact. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., one of the top prospects, even better than Torkelson, took three years to truly break out. He was a fine player. He was a good hitter by a measure like WRC Plus or DRC Plus against league average hitters, but barely. And truly couldn't even crack an OPS above 800 until this season, his third season in the league. Shohei Otani took years again to truly flourish in the major leagues. These are incredible, top-notch, world-class talents that just don't come in that way they are not immediately world-class talents on the level of major league baseball so if the owners want this and they get it what we have is something that really disincentivizes teams to go for it more that that's watering the product down it's 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 telling you, no, it's going to be more expensive to go for it. The last thing owners want to do is spend money. So nobody's going to approach that number or far fewer than we've seen, which is already a pretty minuscule amount. And frankly, like, it's taking even more opportunities away from players or teams looking to develop players because the draft was already been cut in half, literally from 40 rounds to 20 because of the pandemic. So even the Yankees use the CBT as a soft salary cap right now. Hal Steibrunner talks about it pretty publicly in terms of practical business decisions. And it touches this thing that the league is going for and angling for and disincentivizing (laughs) spending. It touches on how critical it is for the league and team and owners to persist in their story of not being able to afford paying players more. And saying they can't afford it becomes this really creative dance because when it comes to unions and negotiating contracts between two sides in this context, saying you can't afford something outright is a legal issue. It becomes a legal issue that could bring a lot of headaches. So uh, ironically, or maybe not, if you expect very little of the Astros at this point, Dick Montfort pretty much said as much in leading the negotiations for the league the other day, and that could open them up to a whole sort of issues namely they would have to open up their books the league would the teams would to say this is why we can't afford the things you think we can eugene friedman is a great follow on twitter he had a great thread on this ultimately outlining just that that the league was set in a position where they removed montfort from negotiations they have told you they had back-to-back negotiation days right first time they've done that in this round of negotiations seemed like the ice was thawing, but the league also seemed to send in somebody who is pretty inept at running his franchise, who gives teams a lot of pause around the league and just like kind of head shake behavior. And like that, oh boy, oh, that was the Rockies thing to do, right? Like that's a sentiment through baseball in a lot of parts of baseball. And Dick Montfort ultimately named it as like, oh no, we can't we can't afford to do that. Well, Dick Montfort, you, you put that out there you might ultimately have to show the books and that's the last thing the league wants to do because they've been able to avoid it to this point they've been able to sell it to the public in terms of you know what we just can't afford it oh you know we're not we're not flush oh sure we have holdings but it's not it's not cash it's you know we are not we're not really raking in dollars like it looks oh we we've got all these investments that we just we can't follow through it's just as a business and you know every double talk standard that could Possibly throw out there and get somebody to spin because they feed this news to people, and that's how reporters like Buster only get access. Yeah, no, they don't want anything to do with that. So, one more thing the league doesn't want to do or incentivize is in this context, adding players, adding money into the game, infusing money to the players, not infusing it into the game, but giving it to the players. They don't really care about the players literally being the entire product. They care about the money that they are pulling in.
1: Hey, Alex Fast here and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can up at PitcherList.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, offseason articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the offseason. So sign up for PL Plus today at PitcherList.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show the union has also proposed raising the minimum salary
0: from 575 thousand dollars to 770 thousand dollars the league has countered with a raise of 615 thousand dollars this is where the travis Sawchuk tweet comes in from the other day and travis outlined how this would actually be a step Backward for players. This would be a step backward for players earning the league minimum because $1 in 2017, when the last CBA went into effect, is now worth 86 cents. So, to keep with inflation alone, the minimum player's salary would need to be raised to $650,000. Travis goes on to detail that no league in the world benefits from minimum wage labor, minimum wage of course being a relative term here, like Major League Baseball. 63.2% of all players to step on the field in 2019, which is the most recent year we have complete full season data, had less than three years of service time. They accounted for 53.6% of days of service, but only 9.8% percent of pay so you have a majority of players accounting for less than 10% of player pay ultimately that means that $615,000 as a minimum salary is regressive for the league it means that they are not interested in paying players more but that's really pretty actively and nearly explicitly saying we would actually prefer to pay you less than you make already we would prefer to have the cheapest players be cheaper already we would prefer that those players don't get to free agency sooner which is something that the league totally is not engaged at all and actually which the union has dropped in an effort to focus on pre-arb players in this context so the league again not acknowledging a concession from the union as a concession they say you know what fine the union does let's not focus on players reaching free agency sooner. Let's focus on getting them playing more sooner and earning more sooner. And the league is not interested in that either. So I'm not really sure what the league is interested in aside from maintaining a status quo that they already have. Because all of this means, all of this rejection and really faux negotiation, this inability to move an inch at all on the league side in terms of not entertaining a bonus pool or entertaining it at a dramatic rate. They they countered with $10 million, right? A tenth of what the union initially proposed in $100 million, and then the union went down to $30 million. The league wants that to be $10 million. That is outrageous. That is a dramatically small sum when considering 30 teams make up that sum. So they countered with $10 million player pool. They both seem... Both sides seem interested in the war thing. I would bet the, the owners more so than the players. They want it to be outsourced work dictating that money that changes and is imperfect and is always in flux that they wouldn't be able to justify having players repay it and they wouldn't be able to... What, what are they going to go back and pay players more? I, I think they would say there's a snowball's chance in hell of that happening. So they've rebuked that proposal. The... League and the owners have also rebuked the proposal of raising the CBT, which is basically baseball's unnamed salary cap. They want penalties to be stiffer for teams going over it and disincentivizing teams to spend and go for it, to put the best players on the field, to pay them more, to get them on the field for that team. They don't want to pay players more as a base salary. So... You don't, and and actively seek to pay them less. So you don't want to pay players more in terms of letting them get the free agency sooner. You don't want to pay players more in terms of truly incentivizing teams to spend more to make a best playoff run possible. You don't want to give players more in terms of a base salary making minimums, which in this context would be locked in. And you wouldn't even be able to give players like Mike Trout more money than that which is always an option for any team but it's only really truly an exception for exceptional players in the in the light of Trout which is basically nobody right so you're locking them into the lowest possible deals that are lower and retrogressive considering all things or re- regressive considering all things that we know to this point point. and what this does is emphasize just how much power the league actually has, just how much power any institution truly has, in an ability to maintain a given status quo. We are talking about what are, to most people, enormous figures here. I understand that, but we know that players make, uh, while we know what players make, we have no idea what the owners do uh, because they refuse to open their books. The closest we get are like the Forbes list of richest franchises, right? Most valuable franchises. And that doesn't even include other business holdings that owners have. We also know that no matter what the owners make, it is more than players. We know that there are far fewer players or far fewer owners than there are players. Like consider this, there are 30 teams, 30 owners, 30 majority owners and ownership groups for minority ownership stakes of those teams. We know that there are 40 man rosters that get cycled through Per team, that the pay pie for players is sliced close to 40 ways. Per team, times 30. So you're talking about what 1,200 players. Uh, it's it's an insane amount of of direction in which the money has to be split between players. So owners make more than the players. There are a ton few, uh, a ton fewer owners than there are players. And the general idea of labor is fighting for more when you have less, is fighting for a relatively equal share between parties that allows for incremental, incremental progress on both sides, as opposed to top-down, closed-door, black-box dictation by one side. What we do know is that unions wouldn't have to exist if one side wasn't already trying to take advantage of of the other and ultimately if we miss games this year it'll really stink truly but it could be extremely necessary for the overall health of the game we've lost half the draft a bunch of minor league affiliates have been tanked in the last year plus because of the pandemic opportunities are drying up for younger players to come in especially in the wake of player development and how the 26 man roster again is now truly a 40 man roster and how guys get shuffled constantly between the minors and majors and frankly we know that labor peace a phrase that the league is saying they they love oh we, we had it now the players are the ones interrupting labor peace well no they're not because nobody had that institute a lockout but the ownership chose to And we know that labor peace is really a myth healthy relationships have and address conflict and we want baseball to be healthy so on that note we hope for more progress soon we hope for more conflict addressing soon and we hope for baseball to happen as soon as possible but if games do get lost a handful of them it might be the best thing long term at this point in time Which leads us to this week in baseball. The Hall of Fame is probably the biggest piece of news at this point. Uh, Big Poppy David Ortiz was just elected on his first year on the ballot. Probably had a lot of of way cleared for him with Edgar Martino uh, in the last... Oh my gosh. (laughs) I am going blank. I can't tell you uh, how often this is happening lately. Edgar Martinez. Oh my gosh. I crossed his name with a high school buddy, uh, who I hope is doing well, must be on the brain. Um, ultimately David Ortiz is in the hall of fame. Now he's been elected. Uh, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are off the ballot after 10 years after a rule that was probably changed from 15 to 10 years to impact players directly like Clemens and Bonds, who were less friendly to press, who press did not care for nearly as much as Poppy, uh, there are also issues there, moral issues. If you really want to get into it, there's steroids, yes, and there's also extra legal matters uh, in terms of potential sexual abuse from Clemens and Bonds, or just domestic abuse. So there are reasons to get into that. I, I don't really care to. The Hall of Fame is is not terribly interesting to me as a new cycle, uh, as a place, sure, as a new cycle. No, not really. Uh, I guess congratulations to David Ortiz and Red Sox fans who were hoping that would happen. Uh, Another fun note is that Daniel Ponce de Leon signed a minor league deal with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And as one friend put it, the Angels are trying to found the fountain of youth for Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. Could not possibly conceive any better way to put that myself. So that is a great note to wrap on this week we hope that you enjoyed this episode. We hope that you are kind enough to leave a review, five stars and something kind to say. Really does a ton for us in terms of the show and more people being able to join us and more people being able to uh, hopefully enjoy their time with us. Uh, In the meantime, we hope that you all have enjoyed this one. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says, at BP, kicking out the positional ranking series. And around uh, the PL Discord. Of course, you can find TC at TCZENCKA on Twitter. And we hope that you all have the best week ever. We'll see you next time, everybody.